incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is chiz. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. Boldly go where no man has gone before. the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. Short in stature, big in heart, and smells like brownies? It's Ren Sims! Yay! Hey, Ren Sims! Hey, hello. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> I wish I smelled like brownies. I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for folks who don't know, uh, which should be pretty much everybody listening to this. Um, uh, Ren is in our D and D group and play. Well, tell us, tell us, introduce your character to the audience. <laughs> uh, Araya. Uh, she is a fairy, um, mm-hmm. and she's a wizard, and she she smells like brownies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a weird. I think that was uh, was that part of the was that a decision you made or was that a decision? How did we, how did you come to that? It's, it's a fairy trait and they have several, you could basically, you roll and you get that one. But I saw that and I was like, Hey, can I just smell like brownies? <laughs> and you were like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Why not? Well, it's fun because, uh, you know, because of the way that our story has played out over the course of, uh, well, the better part of, uh, better part of half a year, at least six months. Mm-hmm. Um, at least. Yeah. Our, uh, my wife, uh, Kat, an executive producer of the Computer Resume podcast, uh, she is also playing a, she's playing a high elf cleric who one of her, one of her attributes, one of her traits is that she's always hungry. So when she initially meets the group, she smells brownies, but can't see where there's food anywhere. So now it's just this thing that has evolved in our group that, you smell like brownies and my wife is always hungry. So she's in a constant state of looking for food. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, we, we're having a lot of fun with that. How, um, how have you been? It's been a while since you've been on the show. Good. Just moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, this is the first episode that we've talked with you uh, regarding discovery so mm-hmm. yep. uh, let's dive right in. What are your initial thoughts about, especially coming from Legacy Trek, which is TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, into New Trek, which of course started with Discovery in 2017. How do you feel about the the transition from Legacy Trek to New Trek? Uh, New Trek's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, it, it's it's just, it's got a lot going on. It's it's not like i love the ne- i love next gen it's one of my favorites yeah um but there is not a lot of seriousness to it there's some you have a couple episodes that are like oh, oh. but for the most part it's it's fun to watch yeah yeah it's... and discovery's fun to watch but the storyline is just stuff is happening 
Oh yeah. I mean, we've got, we started to talk a little bit before we started to roll about the differences in overall tone of discovery. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I mean, it sets the stage for new Trek as a whole where, uh, you know, it's, it's, it starts in a dark place with Burnham's mutiny and then it gets even darker mm-hmm. when they go to the mirror universe, but new Trek as a whole has been really interesting because they set the bar, they set the stage, they set the tone with discovery. Now, when you look at stuff like strange new worlds and especially stuff like lower decks and prodigy, which are so bright, uh, quite literally their animation uh, not Strange New World, yeah. but Prodigy and Lower Decks, their animation, they're geared for that, you know, Prodigy's geared towards younger kids, but Lower Decks is so, I, you know, literally and figuratively cartoony that it, when juxtaposed with Discovery, it's almost jarring. But now I feel like it creates a more complete sense of, the world of star trek where now there is a star trek for every mood do you have you mm-hmm. have you dived into any of the other newer star treks and do you have thoughts on those um unfortunately not really um i kind of i went through a phase cuz kids and i didn't really follow a whole lot of stuff and then i just got busy so i haven't actually part of the reason why i'm doing this show is so i can uh so I can watch all of them and, and get familiarized again with the ones I've already seen. Oh, and you know what? And we thank you for that. <laughs> we thank you that we can be your guide through uh, through the Star Trek franchise. So I'm going to encourage you to, uh, if you haven't already, which it sounds like you haven't, uh, on these Saturday mornings where uh, if you're having a if you're having a lazy Saturday at home. Uh, you know, stay in your pajamas, pour yourself a bowl of cereal and dive into Lower Decks because I think you will absolutely love it. Um, okay. It, it, it is it is the, I, I think of stuff like uh, the Lego Batman movie, which I, I'm, oh, okay. also, I'm, I'm also a huge Batman fan. Uh, but, oh yeah. But Lego Bat, the Lego Batman movie is clearly the Batman movie made for Batman fans. Um, yeah. Lower Decks, comes off the same way of okay yeah this is here here's a fun adventure if you've never seen star trek before um here it is also if you've been a star trek fan for the last you know half century (laughs) here's another star trek show with all the little nerdy easter eggs peppered in throughout uh that'll just warm the little centers of your heart it's it's gonna be (laughs) a lot of fun um but but anyways this this particular episode we are we're hip deep in season two now um Mm -hmm. going into going into this beginning of season two these first three leading to this episode which is the third episode of the second season what were your thoughts going in what were your initial impressions of this episode I kind of feel I'm actually very happy because 99 times out of 10, I get like really serious, hard to talk about episodes. Mm. <clears throat> and this one was kind of, it's not filler because a lot of stuff happened, but it was like, it was, it was more of a transitional episode because it was just kind of pushing the story forward. Yeah. I think with, every... oh no, I was just going to say they pack a lot into those episodes. They do. They really do. I, that is one thing. Um, 
not only specifically about these episodes here in season two, but uh, with New Trek overall, they are really packing in a lot of narrative and, uh, I mean, specifically plot and character development into a mm-hmm. into a tighter into a tighter space uh you know looking at the seasons of most of new trek you're looking at uh about 12 to 15 episodes a season whereas legacy trek and original trek were almost twice that size so they had a lot they had a lot that they were trying to um they had they had filler episodes because those shows were structured mm-hmm. to be procedurals uh procedurals kind of like you've got your um you've got your setting you've got your characters okay what kind of bucket of syrup are they trying to get out of this week you know type of thing but yeah. with streaming the streaming platform they are able to tell a more compact story um in you know, half the time, like I said, 12 to 15 episodes in a season. But yeah, with the narrative that's going on now that Pike has joined the crew um, and we're in this red angel type thing where we're trying to find out what it is, why it is, where is it going? Why are we here? Why are we following it? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions being put forward. Um, Any any thoughts before we kind of get into the recapping uh, and all that stuff? Any thoughts about the overall plot so far with the Red Angel? I can't wait. I need to know what happens. Like, I, I need to keep, well, like, I, I actually got to the episode and I was like, I watched it. I was like, I just want to keep going. Yeah. I should just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think in terms of types of Star Trek stories, um, including, you know, the different types of narratives that they've had. And I, I, I love a good mystery and, you know, without giving too much away, uh, I always love, uh, you know what, I'm going to dial back what I was going to say. Cause I really don't want to spoil anything. I, 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 I really enjoy the types of plot devices. Star Trek usually employs to, convey their narratives <laughs> and that's really yeah. much all i can say without spoiling anything for you um and speaking of spoilers let's get to this week's recap brought to you in part by our patreon supporters rev j jerry antimano cosmic crit kitty b and david willett spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert Seven signals appeared across the galaxy. Yeah. With it, perhaps any chance of a relationship with my brother Spock. That ship is Vulcan. That ship is Sarah. Spock is connected to them. What did he see in them that I can't? You are the Federation. Love it. A failure to understand feels like a failure to reach him at a time when he might need me most. I'm sorry for what I did. I will find him. As Burnham walks the corridors of Discovery, the computer announces the CTP's half-marathon approaching. As they run past, Tilly falls behind as she runs right through May, and no one but Tilly is able to see her. Tilly tells May she'd only gone to Musk Junior High for six months before her mother was reassigned. She hadn't spoken to May in years, and that May had in fact died in 2252. 
Tilly thinks she's losing it and runs to catch up to the others, eventually overtaking them and crossing the finish line. And there was much rejoicing. As Saru and Burnham return to the bridge, the ship is at yellow alert as an unidentified vessel approaches. Bryce has been hailing them on all frequencies with no response. Awosakun reports only two life forms aboard. The ship finally answers. They're a diplomatic vessel, not authorized to reveal more, and the captain requests to transport one aboard. Once in range, Saru notes that the vessel is Vulcan. Burnham recognizes it as Sarex. Pike speculates that Sarek may be there because he informed Starfleet of Spock's drawings and confinement on Starbase 5. He orders Burnham to greet the ambassador in the transporter room. Burnham is surprised that their guest is not Sarek, but his wife, Amanda Grayson. As she embraces Burnham, Amanda whispers in her ear telling her not to react, that Spock needs their help, and Burnham was the only person she could trust. And on that note, we cue the music. On Quonos, Laurel addresses the Klingon High Council as she shows them a holographic projection of their newest warship and tells them that Tyler will oversee its mass production. Cole Shaw snidely asks, in English, if Laurel intends to make Tyler fleet captain as well, and if they'll be forced to speak Federation standard. Laurel notes that the torchbearer was chosen by Takuvma, to which Cole Shaw retorts that Valk was the torchbearer, and that if Laurel wanted him as her plaything, she should keep it in her bed, not the council chambers. Laurel makes clear that what she says goes, and their union was part of what made the Klingon Empire strong. She then rebukes Kolshaw and commands him to remove the paint from his face. Kolshaw dismisses her union as an insult to his son and all others who died in the war. He believes the Seven Signals are an omen since they appeared just after Laurel took power. Tyler removes the paint from Kolshaw's face, saying it's the duty of the torchbearer, human, Klingon, or both, to dirty his hands for his chancellor. Meanwhile, Burnham asks Amanda about the seven signals. She knows of them and that people are anxious about them. Burnham reveals Spock has a connection to them, but is out of clues. Amanda tells her she'd visited Starbase 5 before coming to Discovery, but they wouldn't let her see him, update her, or even give her his personal effects, despite her position. So, she stole his encrypted medical file. Amanda asks Burnham to help her open it. Sneaky, sneaky, sir. In the Chancellor's residence, Tyler greets Ujil, Laurel's uncle, who doesn't reply. Tyler vents his frustration that despite everything, Ujil won't speak to him, and that everyone sees him as human, not Klingon. Laurel counters that House Mokai continues to believe in him, that Ujil is refuting Kolshaw's claims, and that the only opinion he should care about is hers. Tyler asks why Laurel insists on speaking English to him, and demands that she must treat him like Valk if he's to be taken seriously as Torchbearer. She kisses him, and says that if he was Valk, he'd show his love in return. He admits that he still feels being touched by her to be a violation. <laughs> 
Pike's ready room, Amanda tells him that Spock and Burnham speak highly of him, which is why she came to him for help. Pike says he can't open the medical file, as it would violate regulations. Huh, so HIPAA does exist in the future. Burnham notes precedent in Starfleet case law, to which Pike jokingly asks if Burnham was this bossy as a child. Amanda replies that on Vulcan they called it persistence, and that Burnham Learn it by watching you! Pike contacts Captain Vela on Starbase 5. Vela, an old friend of Pike's, tells him that Spock's case is classified, much to Pike's confusion, since his captain would have the right to know Spock's prognosis. Vela explains that Spock is wanted for murder, having killed three doctors before fleeing the Starbase. Sucks! Pike demands to know why Starfleet hasn't issued an APB. Vela explains that the situation is complicated, as some of Spock's medical files had gone missing, but that there were people on it. Great! Amanda rejects the accusations. Burnham concurs, as does Pike, who orders Burnham to open Spock's file. The file makes clear that Spock's issues seem to be of an emotional nature. Burnham concludes either Spock was wrongfully accused or he was mentally compromised. Amanda can't deny the possibility that her son may be mad. His raising was, after all, a bit confusing. Amanda admits she gave Burnham the emotional love and support she'd not been permitted to give Spock. As the computer sifts through Spock's file, Amanda spots some of Spock's drawings of what he had called the Red Angel, which he'd seen as a child. The computer indicates an... Incoming transmission. Burnham takes the call in her quarters. It's Tyler. He tells Burnham the situation on Quonos is volatile, and that if Laurel's rule is ended, so could peace. Burnham promises to pass the info up the chain. They exchange awkward pleasantries. Tyler admits he understood his role to help Laurel, but is afraid that because he appears human, he's doing her more harm than good. Meanwhile, On the bridge, Saru welcomes the CTP trainees to their shadow exercises, which will involve the cadets striking a rapport with their senior officers. A nervous Tilly, extra edgy because of the presence of May, is paired off with Pike, who remarks on her dedication and breaks the tension with some humor. May says the captain of the ship was not funny, but terrifying. Tilly believes May is referring to Lorca, which May says she needs to talk to the one who's shorter, blonder, and sort of an <clears throat> albino kid. Pike, unaware of Tilly's distraction, invites her to sit in the chair to run a systems test. Tilly begins speaking aloud to May loses her temper, and begins yelling, from the perspective of the crew, at Pike. Realizing the entire bridge crew is staring at her, Tilly is mortified, tries to explain, but abruptly says she's quitting the command training program, and leaves the bridge. Meanwhile, Tyler anxiously rubs at his hands to remove the paint he had wiped from Cole Shaw's face, when he spots movement in the shadows. He rises, grabs his knife, and follows them to the estate of House Mokai. Tyler confronts Ujil, demanding to know why he's spying on him. Ujil tells him to take it up with his niece, and that House Mokai was not the one keeping secrets from him. Ujil explains that while Lorel would be angry he broke her trust, he can no longer keep this from him, and leads Tyler into an inner chamber. There, lying in a cradle, 
is a Klingon infant, the son of Laurel and Valk. Laurel learned she was pregnant when Valk was undergoing the procedure to become Tyler. She couldn't activate Valk's hidden memories on Discovery while she was carrying a child, so they cooked the bun outside the oven, which is why the infant was so small. Laurel's never met the child, which doesn't even have a name, but nonetheless considers it a vulnerability. Tyler is infuriated and demands to know what Laurel gained from it. Laurel counters by asking if this knowledge was greater than the pain she carried so he could return to his human life without obligation, remarking that he wouldn't be there forever. Tyler reminds Laurel that he chose to return to Quonos with her and that he's committed to that decision. Laurel asks why Tyler called Burnham. He admits Burnham was the only person he could trust, that he told her the council planned an insurrection, and that was all. He remarks that he saw one of Valk's memories on their way home, he and Laurel walking along the ancestral cliffs of the Mokai. Laurel says their love was greater than that of Kales and Lucura. Tyler confirms Valk thought the same, and that when he saw the child, he felt like he was whole again for the first time, and that they would craft their own love story. Meanwhile! Back on Discovery, Amanda explains that the Red Angel first appeared to Spock when Burnham tried to run away to Earth after the Logic extremists bombed the Vulcan Learning Center. Burnham remembers she'd not gotten far before Sarek found her, to which Amanda reveals that just before they began a search effort, it was Spock who pinpointed her location, claiming the Red Angel had told him and that Sarek found Burnham right where Spock had said she was. They thought Spock used logic and wrote off the angel as a figment of his imagination, but he never wavered from his belief that it was real. Burnham mentions she saw the angel during the mission to the first signal, which she thought was a hallucination. She admits she caused the rift between herself and Spock, believing she was a danger to the family, and that if logic extremists couldn't kill her, they might harm Spock instead. So she pushed him away and though she tried to make amends over the years, he'd refused. Burnham promises Amanda that she won't give up on Spock, and will find him. Amanda says sharply that she will be the one to find him, taking Spock's medical file and storming off. Meanwhile, At the Mokai estate, Laurel and Tyler find Ujil dead, and the child's cradle empty. Cole Shaw contacts them, holding the child in his arms. He explains that the paint on his face that Tyler had wiped away was saturated with sensor implants to act as a listening device. How convenient! Intending to learn Laurel's political strategy, but instead discovering the child and Tyler's communication with Burnham. Colshaw demands Laurel and Tyler meet him at the Chancellor's residence, where he'd return the child if they give him control of the Empire. Meanwhile! As Tilly enters their quarters, Burnham mentions that Saru was looking for her. Tilly explains about May, how she believes she's going insane, that she's been avoiding sickbay and doesn't know what she's going to do. When May wonders why Tilly's eyes are dripping, Tilly says aloud that she is crying and mentions to Burnham that May seems unaware of what crying is. This sets Burnham to thinking. If May was a figment of Tilly's imagination, she'd know that emotion because Tilly knew it. Also, Burnham picked up 
a fragment of an asteroid in her hand without any ill effects. The dark matter reacts to only one substance, the mycelium powering the spore drive. Tilly doesn't need sickbay, she needs stamets. Meanwhile, Colshaw holds out a document of abdication. When Lorel warns him to kill both her and Tyler, as whoever survives will hunt him down. Lorel, Tyler, and Colshaw's guards draw blades and engage in combat. Though Tyler takes a blade to the shoulder, both he and Lorel kill their opponents relatively easily before Colshaw paralyzes them with his own weapon. He cuts Lorel's finger and presses it to the document, signing it in blood, declaring his first act as Chancellor will be to execute Tyler, while Lorel is forced to watch. Then a mysterious hooded figure enters, vaporizes Colshaw's remaining guards, trapping Colshaw himself and releasing Lorel and Tyler from their paralysis. Lorel runs Colshaw through before turning to their rescuer, who lowers their hood to reveal the former Terran Emperor, Philippa Giorgio. Oh, that's interesting! Tyler demands to know why she's been spying on him, to which she replies it was necessary to maintain Lorel's leadership. Lorel thanks her for the rescue, but Giorgio warns that the Council will continue to assume that all her decisions are being made by Tyler, making he and the child a liability. She asks if Lorel is willing to kill Tyler. Lorel refuses to choose between the Chancellorship and the lives of Tyler and their son, to which Giorgio coldly replies she's not giving Lorel a choice. Meanwhile, In engineering, Tilly apologizes to Saru about not coming forward earlier. But Saru reassures her that they'd now be able to find out what was affecting her, so she could return to the CTP. Tilly wonders about Pike, to which Saru replies that while he's not familiar enough with the captain to anticipate his reaction, he knows he has a sense of humor, and that he's fond of Tilly. Stamets arrives, and May identifies him as the captain, because of his use of the mycelial network. Stamets finds Tilly is hosting a form of fungus, obviously multicellular, since it has opinions. Tilly realizes it could be a different spore altogether from the ones used on Discovery, remembering that when they escaped from the Mirror Universe, spores from that reality rained down on engineering. Stamets indeed discovers a multidimensional fungal parasite in Tilly's left shoulder. Saru speculates that it appeared as a figure Tilly knew as a teenager through brain manipulation. I guess. Stamets uses the dark matter's attraction to the fungus via the sample taken from the laser core sampler, pulling the parasite out of Tilly, who immediately passes out. Saru orders quarantine protocol, securing the creature in a force field. Meanwhile, Laurel addresses the council, revealing that she'd had Valk's child and that she made Tyler her torchbearer to honor Valk. She then tells them Tyler had murdered her son and betrayed her to the Federation, claiming the Empire was fracturing, and that if Cole Shaw hadn't intervened, she too would be dead. She then lifts Tyler's severed head, along with that of her son, before hurling Tyler's head into the chasm in front of her. She tells the Council they were her children now, and she planned to raise her new family to greatness. She demands they refer to her not as Chancellor, but by something more fierce, Mother. Meanwhile, aboard a ship in orbit over Boreth, 
Tyler, still very much alive and holding his still very much alive child, remarks on how Giorgio had been able to synthesize their heads down to the smallest genetic detail, and asks who could have that kind of technology. She shows him the black badge of Section 31. Giorgio asks if Tyler really wants his son to become a monk. He replies it's what Laurel wants. What he wants is to know where he belongs, to whom, and who belongs to him. The boy will be raised among the most devout followers of Coles, and he'll never know his parents, but he'd be safe. As the child is beamed to the monastery, Giorgio says Tyler should stick around, commenting that the freaks are more fun. Well, I frickin' Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited to tell you about this. Hey folks, it's your old pal, Mr. Todd A. Davis here from the Computer Resume Podcast. Get ready to boldly go where, well, thousands have gone before. It's TrekFest 38! Yay! June 23rd and 24th in Riverside, Iowa. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Come enjoy all kinds of free activities for you and your whole family. This year's event will feature Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine, some of the best bands in the area on the Riverside Casino and Golf Resort sponsored main stage, food, drinks, and yours truly will be doing some hosting and emceeing. I'll be upset if you don't come get a selfie with me. For more info about this year's Trek Fest, visit them on Facebook at Riverside Trek Fest or on the web at trekfest.org. That's T-R-E-K-F-E-S-T dot org. Riverside isn't just where the best begins, it's where Trek begins. Now, back to the show. So, yeah, now we are, now we are in it. This is, if you've, if you've hung on this long through Discovery, I don't see how you're not like totally invested in this, uh, in this plot that we've got going on with the red angel and not to mention everything that's coming about with um, Tyler and Laurel and we've got Giorgio and all of these things are happening. There, There is a lot, this really, this is an episode where things are really starting to bloom and we are really seeing the full spread of everything that is taking place within the Star Trek universe. Um, First of all, right off the bat, after season one, you know, there's the big, there's the big season one ender reveal is that the discovery comes nose to nose with the Starship Enterprise and we get the captain, not Kirk. (laughs) We get Captain Christopher Pike. Um, What are your thoughts on Pike? I like him a lot. Like I'm, I'm a little afraid that if I keep watching it, he might be my new favorite captain. (laughs) Uh, you know, having having watched uh, the rest of Pike in this season and having seen Pike in Strange New World season one, uh, buckle up because he he's, he, you're gonna you're gonna get some really fun stuff with Pike. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's really awesome, and it's it's also fun to watch interviews with Anson Mount because. And this is a realization that I've come to through doing the show and talking to a lot of, um, or well, talking to the few insiders that I have talked with about the show is that 
a lot of these actors who are in this who are in this world who are part of this franchise are not necessarily big fans they are actors first it is a job that is their profession but there are a handful <laughs> of these actors who when you sit down and say hey let's talk about star trek you can see their eyes light up and go yeah let's talk about star trek and Anson Mount is one of those guys who he is just a big a fan as anybody else watching the show. You can tell through things that he has said and the energy he is putting forth that he loves being Captain Pike and he loves getting to sit in that chair. Um, and so, so it's a lot of fun to know to know that about him and see that he brings that to the screen. Uh, I, I don't want to give more away about Pike and his journey, but I am so excited for you to experience this because I know what's coming. Um, let's talk about a couple of things in this uh, particular episode. Um, besides everything that's going on with, um, with the crew of the Discovery, we get some really interesting stuff between Tyler and Laurel. Uh, what do we think about the relationship there in terms of Tyler with his past and his dealings with Laurel, but also Tyler's dealings with Burnham and the relate the romantic triangle there? How do you what do you think about the romantic triangle? It's kind of fascinating because it's it's not a triangle; it's more like a square because there are four people involved, but. Two of those people are one person. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Like it's, it's really fascinating. Like it's a cool take on things. For sure. Yeah, I think they've they've done a really great job of exploring some interesting concepts here that I've talked about before uh, that I, I won't rehash in full, but like the idea of, uh, you know, trauma, you know, some PTSD, psychological issues uh stockholm mm -hmm. syndrome you know there's there's a lot going on within the the being i will say that is tyler and uh takuvma um, oh vok yeah sorry I'm, get, I'm getting my klingons confused i'm sorry <laughs> vok oh, no. and, and tyler yes <laughs> Sorry, I've been I've been working on some Star Trek comics, so a lot of my lore is getting uh, is getting jumbled up here. <laughs> um, oh, you're fine. There's a ton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Um, but then we see, but then we see, uh, you know, kind of this stuff that's been going on behind the scenes. Like we saw the ending of the Klingon War, uh, which was a really interesting turn of events. But now we're seeing that just because the war is over doesn't mean the fighting stops. And when you've got these very aggressive uh, Klingons, which uh, that, that is kind of the nature of the species, uh, they, are, they are a warrior species. Um, yeah. we, we are seeing that stuff is going on behind the scenes. And this is kind of, this is kind of interesting because I think this might be as close as we'll ever get to sort of a West Wing-ish type uh, Star Trek um, political intrigue type show. And it's yeah, with, yeah you know, uh, 
with the oh gosh I, i'm drawing a blank on the creator of west wing he's a he's a famous playwright like he's a really famous writer this is <laughs> i should know this off the top of my head <laughs> oh no i I don't. I definitely don't. Um, I think I've seen like two episodes of that show. I'm terrible at TV lately. <laughs> oh, hey, it's, you know, uh, I, th I think if you're, <laughs> if, yeah, there's, oh gosh, there's so much. And with streaming now, it's, it's right at your fingertips. You can, you can watch anything pretty much anytime, which I guess is both a blessing too and a curse. Choices. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many choices yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I never really considered myself uh, a fan of any sort of political intrigue, you know, uh, political thriller type shows. Um, but, you know, it, it all, I guess it depends on, you know, your perspective and uh, Aaron Sorkin, that's his name. Oh, I just remember. <laughs> Yay! Hey, Todd's brain he did it. with him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Aaron Loading, Sorkin. please wait. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm running on a Pentium one, people. Just get just give me some time. Uh, but you know, uh, part of and this is this is a, a rabbit trail that we're gonna go off on for for just a minute. Um, the Marvel cinematic okay. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I I love mm -hmm. it. I'm a big big comic book fan. You can see I've got my shelf here of some comics yes. and and whatnot. Um, but part of what I love about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the interaction between the characters and the consequences of them existing in a in a world in a world with consequences. Like I think one of the best scenes is when Thunderbolt Ross goes to the Avengers after um, at the or at the beginning of Civil War and presents the Sokovia Accords. And we are seeing, okay, these are the consequences of your actions and things play out from there. But we're also seeing stuff like Winter Soldier and, uh, you know, e even stuff dealing with Cap in stuff dealing with uh, Tony Stark. You know, at the beginning, at the beginning of Iron Man 2, he gets called in front of... Uh, uh the senate or or congress you know yeah to because they want his they want his weapons like he's he's a each one of those suits is basically a weapon of mass destruction that he built in his garage <laughs> um the parts he had lying around and fabricated <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so uh that's what i love about those and especially when it gets into the um the dealings with the winter soldier and civil civil war where you know the governments are starting to step into place and now we are we are dealing with some espionage we are dealing with spies and we are dealing with um you know intelligence agencies and you know all that type of stuff i find that really fascinating because when you add the superhero element to it it gets even deeper it gets even darker you know the yeah. the ramifications spread even wider and so all of that to say in the Star Trek universe, most of what we've been dealing with is adventures in space, you know, the journey through space, Star Trek, that's what it is. But we haven't really dealt a lot with, okay, here's what's happening with the governments of these particular planets. Or if we do, it's a one episode, you know, it's a one, it's a one-off story or maybe a two-parter at most. Here, we have been dealing with 
a war involving the Federation and the Klingons pretty much since the pilot episode of Discovery. It wrapped up with, uh, you know, the end of season one, but we are seeing that the fighting has not stopped and stuff is going on now behind the scenes in the political structure in the hierarchy of the uh, the ruling classes or who gets to be the ruling class amongst a race of warriors which now you're talking you're talking extreme extreme uh action extreme violence along with a very high stakes political um you know political story you know full of um you know shady deals and uh Mm -hmm. you know struggle not necessarily a struggle for blood but a struggle for control which yeah you know fighting on a battlefield is kind of it's it's intense it's brutal but the fighting behind closed doors the you know the the pen is mightier than the sword type thing you know yeah i think that adds a really great level of depth and um you know, a, a new a new type of story for us to approach and enjoy in Star Trek. And it makes me really excited, especially knowing that Giorgio uh, is heavily involved with this particular narrative. Um, and now that we've gotten the announcement that, yes, she is coming back for the Section 31 movie. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw that, but they did officially announce. No, um, I hadn't. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh is coming back. It's not going to be a series, but it is going to be a streaming film event. So, okay, yeah. Like a limited series kind <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, like a very limited, probably just a one-off, maybe two-hour event, uh, a Section 31 movie. So um, what are your thoughts about, you know, this type of, this type of dealing, you know, with the child, uh, you know, the child of Laurel and Valk and the political dealings amongst the Klingons and Section 31's involvement. Like, how do you how do you feel about all that in this episode? Every time something happens in this particular series, my mind just explodes. It's like, oh, that's different. Oh, that's new. Oh, that hasn't been done before. Oh, my goodness. Like, it. there's a lot. And going back to what you were saying, um, I want to feel like the legacy of like series they they had political stuff but it, they were like on the outside of it they were never like in the clo- you know in the offices and having those conversations and now this series is doing that and it's fascinating like it's really interesting to me um just i can't think i'm just <laughs> excited <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's a lot they when you go when you go from that structure when you go from that episodic structure uh that procedural episodic structure that was the pretty much the entirety of legacy trek to something that is serialized uh with some strong uh political undertones and mm-hmm. a lot of heavy heavy subject matter um you know, in terms of what Gene Roddenberry set up in the 1960s, it, it's it's worlds apart. You know, there, it's not a secret that when Gene was setting up the this sh- the show, um, it was 
he was big on there being no conflict between any of the crew members like they're them showing no conflict because because as humans we had evolved out of that and uh, you know that i think no. that's um, yeah i was going to say <laughs> it's very unrealistic let let's assume let's assume for a second that humans did evolve to a point where there is no conflict our stories are going to get really boring <laughs> because conflict is the essence of drama like you have to have yeah. conflict so uh you know showing these characters not only having personal conflicts with each other but also having to set those conflicts aside to deal with the bigger picture a, the klingon war a mutiny um you know the klingon government being overthrown uh having to rely on the black ops section of the federation of uh, not the federation but of starfleet which is section 31 to do things that are let's just say a moral gray area uh you know and round upon in polite society exactly exactly i think this i think while this is not what gene roddenberry had set up for us knowing that science fiction has always been a mirror of society um and a cautionary tale i think this might actually i i think Star Trek has really improved in the last half century to yeah definitely yeah to be to continuously be entertaining and to continue addressing the issues of the day um as we get and as 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 you continue into new trek I think you're going to see more and more of that did you have any thoughts it's definitely it, Star Trek has evolved like it's never stagnated that's one thing I've always loved about the series in general and just the universe is it always takes cues from what's going on it always has like it's never not interesting yeah like there's only been like maybe one or two that were like eh, this is kind of boring but i still watched it <laughs> yeah uh you know and i think that's kind of where people come to the idea of not liking a particular trek over another i there's a lot of people out there that feel that lower decks is not real star trek like oh they're making oh. jokes all the time and you know running around with a bunch of uh rep you know pop culture references yada 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 that's that's not star trek i'm like you've got it's not my star trek <laughs> exactly <laughs> you've got hundreds if not thousands of people on board these ships uh do you honestly think there's not a handful that are a little a little kooky a little wacky you know that are playing games and in, in the lower decks of these ships like this is part of the i, I want to say human experience but it the life experience you know regardless of species <laughs> oh yeah if you have a ship that big with that many people you're gonna have weirdos yeah. especially science like science people Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, speaking of a uh, weird eccentric group of people, um, we started this episode by talking about our Dungeons and Dragons party. Um, yes. How, how do you feel, how do you feel uh, if our D and D party was dropped into the Star Trek universe? How do you think our D and D party, <laughs> how do you think our D and D party would fare in Starfleet? <laughs> 
Oh no, we wouldn't. We'd be screwed. Just with with it, like especially if gravity went out, we we would lose our minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think well, you could just put them in the hollow deck, and they would just we're okay here. We're just gonna we're just gonna hang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh... Your your character has wings, so I I feel like you'll be okay. Uh, but we've got we've got a dragonborn. Uh, we've got a dragonborn yep. fighter. We've got a team. We have an elephant monk. We've got an elephant monk. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see. We've got uh, we've got a we've got another elf. Um, and we've got uh, oh we've got a, a tiefling rogue. So yeah, we've got a mm-hmm. a bit of a unique, oh, he, unique crew for sure. <laughs> I love our tiefling rogue, but he would not make it. <laughs> he would open the wrong door and just be sucked out into space. Like he he first one to go. <laughs> I love him to death. Like lock, you know, picking the lock on this door. I've almost got it. I've almost got it. As soon as it opens, he's just sucked out into space. <laughs> Yep. And we're done. Yeah, well, okay. 86 tiefling rogue. There we go. Have a, have a nice flight. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it will not be a nice flight. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Um, so we've also been dealing a lot with um, Tilly and uh, her coming into her own. She's getting, she, we can see the confidence is building. Like she's 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 not stupid like she's never been stupid um since we met her she's always she's been very smart very capable but we see a lot of her personal growth over the last well these three episodes in season two but all of season one we've been seeing her you know making those making those steps in her personal growth her her social graces (laughs) growing and blossoming making friends uh, being able to kind of owning herself more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do we have uh, any thoughts about uh, you know what Tilly is dealing with in terms of being able to work with Stamets and all the stuff happening with the mycelial network, and they're they are still just exploring this mycelial network. Um, but I find her so fascinating, and we'll get to Stamets in a moment because I do want to talk a, a little bit about Stamets with you. Um, how do we feel about how Tilly has progressed and thoughts about her character overall? I love her character development. Like, I love her as a character. I see me in her a lot when it comes to like the self-confidence and, you know, just being awkward around people. Cause what if they judge you? Um, (laughs) oh no, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm not alone in that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I have to say, my favorite scene with her thus far has got to be this episode when she loses her shit <laughs> on the captain when she's sitting in the captain's chair. Oh yeah, yeah. That I mean, because this, this is, is like I, I've been in that. I felt like that before. Like you, you just you you have no words. And you just get stuck, and you're just like, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, you know, uh, gosh, over over the appearances that you've made on this show, on this podcast, we've had a lot of different types of discussions about our working experience, uh, 
our professional our our professional slash unprofessional <laughs> uh experiences yeah. in within the working world um I, I think it's it's interesting it, it's really interesting to watch Tilly because she wanted she wants command like she makes that known like right off the bat um episode one or two of season one oh yeah it's like the first thing she says (laughs) yeah that she wants command well here we get to see her on the bridge working with captain pike who i mean she doesn't know this but you know in the whole of star trek captain pike is a legendary figure but she gets to deal you know with this great captain and the first thing that happens is you're absolutely right she loses her (laughs) on pike yells yells at well perceive uh, you know we perceive her yelling at pike in front of the entire bridge crew, the entire senior staff there on the bridge. And yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's heartbreaking to see her come to the realization of like of almost quite literally watching her dreams fly away from her. It's like, all right, well, bye. Guess I'm never going to be captain. I might as well just leave Starfleet altogether. Um have you have you ever have you ever felt that way? Have you ever in a in a professional working sense? Have you ever just oh well that's the end. Bye. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Okay. I think that just in general in my life because I sometimes I like you get so much going on in your head and so much like emotion along with it and your brain just goes nope we're done now like just you can't no words no, out. Like there have been points where I become nonverbal. Like I just make noises. Ooh, I'm yeah. like, ah, um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. So I've I've been there. I can definitely relate. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I am. Um, the listeners can't see this, but I re- have recently rearranged my office and went and cleaned out a bunch of th- uh, cleaned out a bunch of stuff. Uh, in cleaning out my office, I found uh, a box of papers one of those papers that i found was a breakdown of it was it was my reasons for request for requesting a raise and it was pointing out a lot of the flaws and a lot of the deficiencies in the company i was working for at the time and it was it was one of those documents where like okay this is i i should either go ahead and attach a two week notice <laughs> along with this piece of paper or just be prepared yeah. to like, as soon as I'm done writing this, just go ahead and pack the box. Like just all, uh, you know, my, you know, the picture of me and my wife, the little toy that I have on my desk, yeah. uh, the little magnet on the fridge and the break room, just go ahead and put that <laughs> in a box and just be ready to go home. <laughs> um, but yeah. Get in the I, trunk just in case. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's been, you know, I think as I got, as I've gotten older, um, I think I've been more, I've gotten more vocal about my displeasure with leadership in terms of jobs that I've worked. And it wasn't any one particular job, but there were, there were a couple of instances, like my first job out of high school, I was waiting tables it's service industry. 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of things to be frustrated at. You could yell at your boss, but to what end? Um, but yeah, what's going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, getting into the corporate world or getting into something that is a little more, um, a little more intricately structured, I'll say, you know, there's the thoughts of, uh, the brass versus the boots. And when I, for the, for folks who don't know what I'm talking about, the brass being, um, you know, the higher uh, people in higher positions of authority. Um, management. Management. Yeah. Um, at a particular, at one particular job, we always talk, we always called them the carpet because in their, in their section of the building, they had carpet. And everywhere yep. else, there's no carpet. So, <laughs> hardwood, linoleum. Yep, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> fluorescent lighting. Yes, lots of fluorescent lighting. Um, and uh, you know, even even after that, you know, even working in an office, you know, it, depending on your function within the office, I know you've had some office experience as well. Um, there's there's a level of being able to see the deficiencies um especially if you are boots um or you know lower level you know lower a lower level worker you see the deficiencies versus seeing uh you know a pers- again we're talking about perceptions here when you see the deficiencies and you see that management is not doing anything about it the frustration builds to a point where, yep. okay, so, something, either something has to change or I have to leave because <laughs> I can't work like this. Um, I I am right there. I work for a very large worldwide company mm-hmm. and every day I give less Fs than I did the day before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like there, slowly but surely. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to yeah. it's hard to kind of compartmentalize that type of thing. Uh, it's yeah. I, I I like to look at it as I like to think that hey, I wouldn't be so upset if I didn't care. I actually I actually care about right? what I care about what we're doing. I care about this job. Like I care about my work here. I care about other people's work here. I wouldn't be so upset about these things if I didn't care. So I feel like that should count for something, but it should, but it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing. Let's, let's look at, Oh, did did you have something else? I was just going to say, I've gotten to a point where I just have started matching their energy. That's a, that's a good way to play it. That's a good way to play it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And something that Andy calls it, um, he calls it malicious compliance. He's going to do exactly what he is told to a T. Yep. This is what you told me to do. And if it doesn't work out, it's their fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this was the directive I was given. <laughs> yep. I, I'm very much, uh, I mean, you know, I we've already gotten into a lot of deep discussion here, so I won't I won't Always. make it. Yeah, I won't make it even deeper by saying, "Well, the differences between men and women in the workplace." Like, I, that's not a road I'm prepared to go down. I have a story. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> so I work with Andy, yeah. and 
Andy, we Andy, have Andy Cummins, who is who has also been on the show a couple of times. He's he's done he's done a few episodes with us. G- comedian, friend of he's ours. Awesome. He yes. works with me. Yeah. Um, but we have both of our signatures in our email where mm-hmm. it's got me and then it's got him. And we're supposed to take out basically take out his if it's me, take out mine if it's his. Um gotcha. Well, I accidentally took out the wrong name and I was replying to with Andy all day. I have never had a more peaceful and productive day than I did that day. No one fought with me. There were just, I would get the stuff I asked for. Like it was insane. Wow. That is, that is, that is revealing. That is, that is quite telling. (laughs) Yeah. It made Andy so mad. He's like, if you ever have a day like that and you just want to use my name, go for it. Nice. Like if you need an answer quickly, it's like just just use me. Oh man, that's oh, that is disappointing. Yeah, but it's you know what I was okay. about. What I was about to say about my experience yeah. with that was that I I'm a very task oriented person. Like if you give me a to do list, I'm good about okay. Let's go write down the list. This one. This one. This yep. one. This one. This one. Um, I'm not, I'm not super great at multitasking. I actually had a discussion, uh, earlier this week with, um, frequent guest on the show, Justin Bishop, who's done some work oh. for us. He's, uh, he's a friend of ours, yeah. uh, co-host on uh, cinema shock. Um, but he's, he's been, I think the lar- most of his professional career, uh, has been service industry in, in one form of mm-hmm. another. He's waited his fair share of tables. He's worked in bars, but he's also done customer service on the phone. You know, so a lot of his stuff is customer service based and very successful people in customer service in the customer service industry know how to multitask and multitask very well, because you've got a lot of, you're spinning a lot of plates. You've you've got a lot of plates spinning and you got to keep them all spinning. Um, so I feel like that's a, you know, that's a really good trait. And I forget where I was going with that. But yeah, anyways, I, I, I'm not, okay. oh, all that, all that to say, uh, I'm, I am not a good multitasker. And I imagine, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys tend to be more task oriented of like, give, give me the task. I, accomplish. I, I, that's the caveman brain coming out of like, you give task, I do task. Like, um, but yeah, I know women like that. So it's not just men. Oh, okay. like, I, I know women that do very good on a to-do list. But if if you basically just tell them all the things they need to do without a list, they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, as I as I think about it a little bit more, yeah, you're right. There, it's not specific to men or women. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of folks. It's everybody. Everybody works differently, and you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different things. Before before we move on, I wanted to talk a little bit more about. Stamets, uh, yes. especially Stamets dealing with Tilly. Um, you know, we've there's a rank structure there, obviously, but you have two very two two varying uh, personalities. But you know, Stamets being the higher rank, he is the senior engineer. Tilly is an ensign. She's uh, mm-hmm. you know trying to. She's just starting out in Starfleet. But how do we yeah. feel about the working relationship between Stamets and Tilly? Stamets is very can be very prickly, you know. He's he, he's uh, he's very he's very smart and all of that. But you know, I'm 
imagine he can probably rub some people the wrong way. And, you know, Tilly's, you know, put her foot in her mouth more than once. <laughs> but how do we feel about the working relationship between Stamets and Tilly? It's gotten better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, like it's, it's they've definitely grown. And the fact that he was leaving and it just tanked her completely. Like it was like, yeah. oh no, my, 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 my friend worker's gone. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> like it really messed her up. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you see somebody like that, uh, who's just, who's, you know, punching out, I've, I've mentioned before I've worked in law enforcement, but when you, when you've got a, a boss or a senior rank, who's kind of like, oh, by the way, I'm retiring or, I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving my family, you know, out of state or something like that. And you're just like, well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. I guess. What, what am I going to do now? (laughs) Have you, have you had that? You keep me sane, man. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and the other thing with their, the other thing with their working relationship that I've noticed is he encourages her like in kind of an, not in like a, I'm going to encourage you to do something, but the way he says things to her, it feels like he's kind of pushing her in that direction. So she handles it on her own yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And she's really starting to kind of blossom this season. I want to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's interesting to, to see those types of things. And I remember one position I, I was in, uh, it was law enforcement position, but I, I had a good working relationship with my immediate supervisor, my Lieutenant. And um, there was a sense and he had been in law enforcement much longer than I have um, and to a greater capacity and all of that stuff. And then when I left, I was also moving out of state and there was a sense of you're leaving my my Lieutenant coming to me and you're, you're leaving. Like, what am I going to do now? Why, why are you leaving me here with this? (laughs) And it's, you know, it's a, it's a bummer. When I, when we moved to South Carolina, yeah, I was at a law office for five years mm-hmm. and I did all of the, their outgoing mail. So I want to say I was mailing two to 300 envelopes a day. Ooh. When they found out I was leaving, I have never seen someone lose their mind so quickly <laughs> in all my life. They're like, no, you can't. Like, you're not allowed. <laughs> and what's funny is... I was gone for a week and the whole thing fell apart. Oh, wow. It took five business days for the person who took over to tank it. Oh, no. (laughs) That's my superpower. Yeah. yeah. It it makes you, well, I mean, there's a, there's a part of you that makes you feel a little, there's a little bit of satisfaction there of like, yeah, yeah. I did it. You can't. Ha ha ha. Yeah. You guys can't do this without me. And there's also a sense of like, especially if somebody makes it known of like, Hey, are you sure you want to leave? Cause we're pretty sure this is not going to go well. <laughs> there's that sense of like, Oh, somebody's recognized. Someone appreciates what I've done. I remember uh, again, that last uh, law enforcement position I had, um, they, and it was around September 11th. They were having a September 11th, uh, you know, memorial type, you know, remember, remember the day type thing. Um, And they had all of the campus law enforcement there to, you know, for this event. I had just finished working midnight to 8 a.m. 
and it was mandate oh. it was mandated that I attend this event and the event started at 10 a.m. I'm like you guys oh, know wow. you guys know I've just worked all night and now I have to stay here and I still have an hour drive home. <laughs> What? Oh no! I don't feel very appreciated. <laughs> Can I just go home, please? And I think if I if I remember correctly, we were it was mandated that we attend that event off the clock. And I was like, "What? You you got no?" I was like, "You've got to be kidding me! <laughs> I have never felt less appreciated <laughs> in my entire service career." <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, yeah, if you ever want to, if you see a person in uniform um, and you want to appreciate and you want to express your appreciation to them, leave them alone. <laughs> just, just leave them alone. <laughs> don't bother. Don't, don't bother them. Uh, I, you know, having, having worked in law enforcement, I, I remember distinctly the uniform, the armor, the equipment, the boots, cramming myself. I'm I'm not a small guy, so I had to cram myself into a patrol car and I always Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, so I would always tell folks like, look, if you see somebody, if you if you see a law enforcement officer standing around, trust me, they're working. They are uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that uniform, that armor, that equipment, like the co- boots. Costume. Yeah, yeah. It is the most uncomfortable costume you'll ever have to wear. <laughs> um, Do not cosplay as a cop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't. Um, but yeah, you know, as we've been looking through uh, this particular episode and, you know, discussing our working histories and all of these things. Uh, you know, it, it. we come back to this idea of it's the people. It's the people that are involved. And when you're looking at the people involved, be it your nine to five profession or an episode of a TV show, you always end up inevitably, inevitably asking the question, as we do every week, lovingly, who do we blame? This episode was written by Andrew Colville. Uh, whose first writing credit was a script for Boomtown in 2002. Uh, Andrew went on and worked on the 4400, Mad Men, uh, Nikita, uh, but this is his first script in the franchise, but not his last. And this episode was directed by Olatunde Osansami. Um, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> Uh, Good job, sir. It sounded great you. to me. Oh, thank you. Uh, his last his last directing was Discovery Season 1, Episode 13, What's Past is Prologue, which we discussed with actor, writer, director Matt Jennings back on Episode 99. In terms of guest stars, we've got a bunch of familiar faces returning. We've got Michelle Yeoh as Giorgio, Mia Kirshner as Amanda Grayson. Uh, Mary Chifo as Laurel and Kenneth Mitchell, this time as Cole Shaw. Uh, but then we've got Bahia Watson as May Ahern. We've seen a couple of glimpses of her, uh, you know, in dealing with Tilly. Uh, this is the this is the friend of hers that she's seeing uh, a couple places around the ship. Uh, her resume up until this point was mostly shorts, and she had a few TV spots before this. 
Uh, but her first appearance was Discovery Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden, which we discussed last week with Star Trek parody musician Ian Ramsey, a.k.a. Star Wrecked on YouTube. Uh, more recently, she's done 30 episodes of Clifford the Big Red Dog, 8 episodes of My Little Pony, Make Your Mark, uh, 23 episodes of The Handmaid's Tale, and 57 episodes of of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? Definitely. It's like I'm into voice acting and handmaids too. Yeah, <laughs> voice, act, voice acting, uh, bright, colorful kids cartoon, voice acting, bright, colorful kids cartoon, handmaid's tale, voice acting, bright and colorful kids cartoon. <laughs> For 57 episodes, me and my kids used to watch strawberry shortcake all the time. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it was Ella's favorite oh, when she was about five. Oh, that's fun. She loved My Little Pony and Strawberry Shortcake. Oh, yeah. That's that's awesome. Oh, remind me, I have found, I have found your cartoon doppelganger. Yeah. <laughs> who? I need to know now. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, before we continue with uh, who do we blame section, there is a cartoon yes. on Disney Plus. We watched the first episode today called Big City Green, and it is basically... Um, a, a, a family from the country moves to the city and the family's okay. name is green. Um, it's a, it's a dad, a grandma and two kids, a boy and a girl, the girl it, that I, I, both cat, both cat and I were watching it this morning. We're like, I think that might be Ren. <laughs> I need to watch this. It's, it's really cute. Uh, I, it's very silly fun. So uh, yeah, I highly recommend. I may, uh, I'll see if I can find a sound clip and drop it in here. Because the, she's also, she's, yeah. a, she's a little bit, she's got a little bit of like Wednesday Adams to her. <laughs> so there, okay. it, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a very fun, uh, it's a very fun character, but yeah, I think she's got, um, she's, she's got some fun quirky uh, qualities that I think mirror some 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 of your personal attributes <laughs> i feel like that is my general aesthetic is just awkwardly weird <laughs> and i do i do have a very like i have an internal goth side i keep it to myself nice because nice. i am such a bubbly person oh that's fun <laughs> yes you are but and, i do love we, me some wednesday yes and and we love you for it we do <laughs> uh so uh getting back in we've also got Alan Van Sprang as Leland uh, aboard the Section 31 ship. His first credit was Season 1, Episode 8, Robin's Hoods in 1994, playing Carl Rossi. He was also in the movie Masterminds in 1997. Not the first time we've mentioned this movie. Uh, he plays Happy Boy Number 7, but Masterminds, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those great things you have at the beginning of your resume um but masterminds stars sir patrick stewart and was written and was written by chris black one of the writers of enterprise so masterminds oh. has quite a few star trek uh connections 
he would also go on to do uh, season one, episode three of Highlander, The Raven, which is the episode Bloodlines. I'm a big Highlander fan, so I gotta I gotta shout out Highlander when I whenever I get the opportunity. Uh, he would also Definitely. go on to do 22 episodes of Earth, Final Conflict. He played Brewbreak. He played Brewbreak. Oh, why can't I say that word? Brewbaker. Brewbaker. He played Brewbaker in George Romero's Land of the Dead, and that was in 2005. He also played Chris in Saw 3 the following year. I'm a big fan of the Saw franchise as well, so gotta I'm, shout that out. I am also, but I've only seen one of them. Oh, really? Which one? The first one? The first one. Okay. Uh, argu- arguably the best of the franchise, but I I really do love the Saw franchise in that Jigsaw spoilers for the Saw franchise Um, Jigsaw himself never actually killed anybody yeah so there's that set it up he set it up and it's up to you whether you survive or die (laughs) Um, and also uh, speaking of the Saw franchise I love that it's one that it's a pretty seamless continuous story um, yeah as as opposed to cohesive Yes, it is one cohesive narrative all the way through. Um, but yeah, I, I really do dig the Saw franchise. Uh, I, so uh, Alan Van Sprang would also do 22 episodes of 11 Cameras, 21 episodes of King, 25 episodes of Rain, and, 20, and 27 episodes of Shadow Hunters. And this is his first appearance in the franchise, but not his last. So we will see him again. Uh, Ren, let me ask you this question. Is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and watching Star Trek and they're working their way through Discovery and they come to this episode of Star Trek Discovery, is this one that they have to watch or can they skip it? Um, I feel like they should have to watch it. It's, it's got enough. I feel like it is the start of a story. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it's the beginnings of this season, obviously, but it, I, I think it's still very important because there's a lot of stuff going on with Spock and Laurel and all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to uh, agree with you there. I think between everything that is happening um, with the Klingons, which we discussed at length, um, not to mention, you know, the return of Giorgio and the revelation that she's working with Section 31 um yeah this is this is a this is a noteworthy episode we've got we've got a lot of we've got a lot of things ending with this episode but we've also got a lot of stuff beginning with this episode yes this is this is a key episode for sure um any parting thoughts before we start to wrap it up um thoughts about the episode thoughts about uh your first experiences with discovery uh your experience on the podcast uh once again uh any parting thoughts before we leave Honestly, I'm really looking forward to watching more of Discovery. It's it's a really cool series, and I actually regret just now getting into it. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I actually somebody I saw somebody on Twitter saying that uh, they had just started Lower Decks, and they felt like uh, such a such a jerk for not for not getting into it uh, sooner. And I was quick to chime in with like, "Look, it's okay. It's here. You know." Everybody takes their own trek in their own time. So you're you're meant to watch Discovery now, which is which is great because <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of fun with obviously Captain Pike 
and then you know once we get through season two of discovery you'll jump to season three and four i don't want to give anything away unless you already know but yeah i know um, not yet yeah <laughs> Uh, but also, uh, you know, following Pike into Strange New Worlds, and uh, yeah, everybody, you know, you're you're meant to watch it right now. And and Discovery, uh, Discovery season five, the final season, is going to be starting very soon, as well as uh, the new season of Strange New Worlds. So you've got a bunch of stuff that's going to be dropping for you very very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for carving out the time to come uh, talk. With oh, me yeah, definitely. We always love always fun. <laughs> well, folks, next week, we will be joined by one of the directors of Trek Fest 38 in Riverside, Iowa. Travis Riggin will be here to discuss Discovery Season 2, Episode 4, and Obal for Charon, which is available exclusively on Paramount Plus. Ren. Where can people find you on the interwebs? RC Sims 82, 1M. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. He played Brew Break. Bleh. He played Brew Break. Oh, why can't I say that word? Brew Baker. Brew Baker. How's that for a slice of fried gold?